The NAFTA and the USMCA are supposed to streamline the process of, of business transactions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that it's easier for business to flow. Which which it, which though impacts also the the flow of traffic from a personnel from a people standpoint. I'll but, say. but unfortunately, it's not been implemented okay. to deal with migratory flows. Okay. Okay. So I understand. If we consider something called the visa waiver program, mm -hmm. there are. Good afternoon and welcome to another awesome podcast with AU Studios. We are excited that you have thought enough to join us on this afternoon. We are in the studios with a dynamic, dynamic, dynamic guest today, an immigration lawyer out of Fort Lauderdale, Mr. Ralph Keenold. We're going to chat with Mr. Keenold about immigration issues. We're going to take a look at immigration pre-COVID and post-COVID. But first, I want to say thank you for the those loyal viewers and those loyal listeners, those of you that continue to follow us and tune in. We are ecstatic about what's to come on the podcast that we offer. We're excited about the news and the information that we're able to share with you, our viewing community. And so without further ado, I'm going to tune in to our awesome guest who's here with us, Mr. Ralph Kino. Hello and welcome and thank you. Well, hello, hello, and thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be in this amazing studio. Absolutely. It is an amazing studio. AU Studios, www.austudios.com. And so I like to say that because it's it's an inside joke. But but Ralph, thank you so much for coming in. I know that I spoke with you briefly just kind of in passing and I said, hey, you know, we'd like to know more about what's going on and what immigration looks like post-COVID. Um, you shared with me that there's been a whole lot happening, right? And so you continue to stay busy, a thriving business. And I guess a lot of that is because of post-COVID and how um, even a change in administration has impacted policies. Tell us a little about that, if you will. You know, there's so much happening in the area of immigration. I mean, whether it's uh, current, you know, popular sentiment, how people feel about immigration, or just the processes in general. Now, I, you had when we were talking, you were really interested in the changes yes. since COVID. Yes. But you know, as an immigration practitioner, I've been practicing immigration for 20 years. Actually, almost 22 years, actually. And there's been a lot of moments. Yes. And you know, one of the more significant moments was September 11th. And at that time, there was the question of, what's it, was it like before September 11th mm -hmm. and after September 11th? And this is a moment like that as well. Yes. But to paint the picture, Immigration in the last 10 years has had a significant issue with the support that the federal government provided because it was a situation where you had elements in the United States government that were wanted to reduce immigration. Mm -hmm. And part of what they tried to do was not provide the support that it, that it needed. So you yes. had a lot of backlog. So a few years ago, this is pre-COVID, um, there were situations where if you'd go to immigration court to help somebody who was facing deportation, and for the people who may not know, that's when someone is about to be removed from the United States yes. because their status ended or they came in un unlawfully. Someone could be waiting four or five years to get in front of a judge. Um, 
We have and a this is to be deported. This Someone is to be deported. Take. This okay. is for, for removal. And that problem became significant because there were people that were saying, look, I want to have a resolution for my, my process, but there's only 800 judges in 2 million cases. Mm-hmm. So that was the major issue in about 2018, 2019. But then in 2020, something amazing happened. Mm-hmm. When the planet shut down, it had a major impact for those people who were trying to follow what we say follow the rules and come in through the traditional processes, yes. whether that might be a family member petitioning for someone in a country abroad or someone who has a business and they're trying to get their visa stamped. But when COVID came down, a lot of people don't realize that the embassy's closed. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, you know, people are on a daily basis, people are bringing in applications and trying to come into the States. So we had backlogs now in the what we call consular processing. That's those people who want to come in from their country, get a visa and move forward. So what was taking six months to resolve in 2019 from the processing side of coming in from your country sure. is now taking two years. Wow. So wow. you've got a situation where <clears throat> on both sides of this immigration process, from the, from the perspective of the immigrants, those sure. people that are applying through the traditional processes, and those people who may have come in and overstayed, that's, you know, they had a visa for six months, but they stayed longer, or even people who, that we see right now on the southern border, who are just trying to get refugee status, the whole situ- system has been kind of jammed up. Wow. So from the perspective of immigrants, there's a lot of stress and frustration mm-hmm. because the people are looking for a solution. On the other side, uh, in the wider community, there's a, there's a sense of confusion as if it seems like the system has collapsed. Mm-hmm. It seems as if the government is, has lost control. And why, why, would, why is it that people would feel that way? And I ask that question because what you've said is in 2019, there was some backlog, there were some issues. However, COVID to 2020 really exacerbated that by d- embassies being closed and, and federal government's agencies being closed. And so wouldn't people notice that and understand that that's a part of, that's really the problem as opposed to, you know, their frustration stemming from other areas or, or other um, factors, I guess? Well, the, the thing that's interesting about that is that the COVID situation affected those people who were doing the immigration process in a manner that didn't have as much, wasn't as much a political football. Okay. So let me paint the picture this way. Imagine that I'm a Chilean student and I want to get a student visa to come and study at Atlantis University. I go and I present my paperwork at the U.S. Embassy mm-hmm. in Chile, and I wait. And as, a, as an international student, the way that I'm received, where I am in, encountering people is very different than if I am an immigrant coming in from the southern border. So what, what happens is that those people who are coming in undocumented, the, the so-called migrant caravan, those are the things that were making news, and those were the things that yes. were really affecting political sentiment because mm-hmm. people were feeling like, hey, these people are just kind of showing up ah, gotcha. and they're not following the sure, rules. Sure. But when COVID came, even the people that are so-called following the rules, now they are suffering because okay. when someone says, I'm going to send my child to come and study at Atlantis University, an international student has to pay full freight plus fees. Sure. So it's a, it's a major effort to be an international student. It's, okay. a, it's a major struggle. Mm-hmm. It's a major commitment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking oftentimes very young people, you know, in the prime of their lives. And we lost a big chunk of time because of the way that things closed down. Sure. 
The other thing that happened with COVID was the process to try to address the actual um, COVID epidemic. And one of the things that became a major bone of contention was how, who are we going to allow in even after the immigration process has been mm-hmm. done? And are we going to make certain requirements? Mm-hmm. So one of the requirements was whether they be tested. Now, this is going back to before we had the vaccine. Okay. But then the question was, well, how do you test people from certain countries that don't have the mechanisms in place? You know, it's, it almost seems like it was years ago because we've been through this so long. Mm-hmm. But there was a time when the question was, do we have enough tests? Okay. And it went from do we have enough tests to do we have enough vaccinations? Right now, ironically, uh, we have certain uh, vaccinations that are that are not being used and they mm-hmm. have to be destroyed. Sure. But at that time, you had a situation where you had some countries that had implemented a testing process in place relatively quickly. So a place like South Korea could have everyone tested and a South Korean immigrant could have all of their papers in order faster than, say, Nigerian immigrant. Okay. Because the folks that were coming in from Nigeria, they didn't necessarily have the testing implementation processes in place. Sure. Right? So now you have something interesting because you have almost almost a two-tiered system Mm -hmm. in that you have some countries that have were able to develop the capacity to do the certain certain things. But ironically, many of those countries weren't the countries that were sending us the most immigrants. Ah, Right? Okay. So then you have these other countries that don't have the resources, they are in desperate need and they don't. They haven't built an infrastructure, and that's that's where the largest or the bulk of the, that, the right. influx in terms that's of right. immigration. Gotcha. That's right. Gotcha. And then the other thing that happened is while this is happening, while the system is trying to be put in place for those people who are going through the processes, you have what we call the migrant caravan that was coming up from Mexico, from Central and South sure, America. Sure. And those people were coming in, and they were trying to declare refugee status. What's ironic about those people is they weren't getting tested. Nothing of the sort was happening because their situation was so desperate. So from the perspective of someone that's, that's viewing the situation, and this is where the frustration comes in, mm-hmm. they're saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, you're telling me as an American citizen I have to wear a mask when I go to school or I have to get tested, but the border seems to be wide open. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that that sentiment kind of plays out for us as immigration practitioners and people in the community trying to address these issues is it makes it harder to find the solutions that are needed. I had begun by saying to you that before all of this COVID thing happened, we had a concern about courtroom staffing uh-huh. because immigrations do have, immigrants do have rights and there is an immigration removal process. But if you're an immigration judge and you have to handle 800 cases you know, in, a, in a small period of time, it's very, very hard to really look at everyone's case and provide the necessary services, sure. right? And the thing is, we're talking about 800 judges throughout the United States, and at that point, two million cases. So the backlog was just insanity. Wow, yeah. And when the, the current sentiment is, these people are just coming across willy-nilly, when we as practitioners and advocates say, well, hey, we need a couple of hundred million dollars to bring in more judges, to bring in mm-hmm. more resources, and to process the people that we have, then it becomes a debate about, well, what about getting people to enforce the border, okay. to reduce? Okay. So, it's, it's, okay. so it's a multifaceted situation sure. because sure. There, there are different areas to consider, mm-hmm. whether it's considering those folks who are going to the embassy and trying to come across, those folks who are here now trying to get their, their problems solved, and those folks who are just coming in from a 
refugee perspective. And so that's great information. Thank you so much for sharing uh, that information. And so that gives me perspective. And then our listeners and viewers that will hear this, right? It'll educate us in a big way. And so I don't want to get political, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want us to choose sides, Democrat or Republican. But I would like to know. So during the COVID-19, right, upon inception of COVID-19 or the start of, of COVID-19, we had a, one administration. And today, right, since COVID-19, we have a new administration. Has there been significant changes in policies or in the way that we deal with immigration since administration A and now administration B, I'll say? There have been there have been changes, but as a practitioner, I would say that it's important not to get too mired in looking at it from an administration okay. to an other administration okay. or Good even a party to another party. Sure. Because what the ch part of our challenge is, is that we need uh, a revision. We need a mm -hmm. we need a fresh look at addressing the issue. Think about immigration as almost an industry that is out of step. Mm -hmm. and, and, and an industry that needs a major overhaul, and no one has developed the political will to really address it. Okay. So while there might be a little bit more of a lax approach, lax in the sense of during the Trump administration, there was a very, very strong effort at doing two things, providing a, a degree of harshness mm -hmm. to the immigrant community, just making it uncomfortable to be in the United States. The, they, they, the, the Trump administration pulled the, the rug out from under people to just kind of make an effort to force certain people to go home. Okay. And the Biden administration has taken approach of not necessarily being welcoming, but almost being lax. Okay. And sort of saying, well, I, I guess you can come in. Mm -hmm. But not even the person coming to the border necessarily wants that. Because... If we don't come up with a solution, you have a situation where you can have millions of people that are in the United States, but not documented and being exploited by in the United States sure. because they don't necessarily have sure. all of the papers that they need so that it can be properly documented. Sure. So there are those that are very, very happy with the Biden administration not having that cruel approach. And I, I said it, I, I think I'm making the effort to be objective mm -hmm. and not political about it. But the idea that we're not going to provide security because the, 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 there are nightmare stories about what it takes to cross from South America mm -hmm. over Mexico to the border. And it creates a certain kind of hazard if you're not creating a system that's going to allow for the proper, healthy, and secure flow sure, of immigrants from that sure. border. Similarly, um, refusing to acknowledge the business necessity and the seriousness of immigrants that are coming and investing millions of dollars and having a person who's coming to put a million dollars in South Florida or in Seattle in an investor program, and for that individual who's prepared to invest a million dollars and create jobs to say that person has been stuck in, the, in, in their country because their papers just aren't getting processed, that is equally problematic. Well, but, and I think, I think you're describing the, is that I, is that the, um, uh, uh, is it IB five or the uh, the EB five the EB five yeah e, IB the EB five so so I think that the that kind of process or that you know EB five playing out that was not a 
you know, so impacted or I guess stuck in the pipeline as, say, a regular... Yes, it was. Oh, wow. Yes, it was. Okay. So, and, and, it was, and it was stuck actually in two ways. Okay. Because there were those people who were here mm-hmm. and did the investment and have been waiting years to get their final green card. Ah. So that's that's a, a bureaucratic issue that's happening in country. Sure, sure. But then there are people who are abroad trying to get some of their stuff processed and they were getting delayed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm, you know, I'm doing supposedly the first class approach. I got, mm-hmm. I'm buying, essentially buying mm-hmm. my status sure. and I'm stuck in line too. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, when we think about the immigration process, the easier thing to do is to say, one side good, one side bad. Mm-hmm. But really the challenge that we have, and it's something that, that has been a problem in the immigration mm-hmm. you know, community for many years, is that we really haven't stopped to figure out how do we have an immigration process for the 21st century? Okay. What do we need to do to make it uh, beneficial for Americans as well as those immigrants? Okay. How do we open our hands and open our doors in a way that we don't have a situation at the border that we have right now. What are some of, just real quick, um, what would be mm, your top, I'd say, three recommendations in terms of solutions? Well, I think that really bringing in Silicon Valley to uh, streamline the, the, the application process. Okay. Um, I mean, if we consider that if you're looking for an individual in the world who has basic documentation, it's relatively easy to do. Okay. I mean, we as Americans don't realize that when oftentimes when we present our passport at the at the, the, the customs, that individual is able to see our travels for a significant period of time, and there are people that are able to see that in other countries as well, right? So we can modernize our processes so that people now there are going to be some countries that have a little bit more difficulty than others because they may not have the technology and the infrastructure. And it would have to work on those areas. But there are other countries where it shouldn't be that difficult mm-hmm. to provide certain information to get a visa to come to the United States. Okay. You know, It is easier for an, an, an English national to buy a piece of property in America than to get a visa to come and see the property that he or she purchased. Yeah. So that shouldn't yeah. be the case. Yeah. Um, we need to have a, uh, I would say, a North American... Uh, security protocol that will provide checkpoints from the United States border down into South America so that we can track the movement of people because there are migrant well, we communities. We have that, don't we? So, I think, and I'll and I'll say this: when you say a North American, right? So I think about the the old NAFTA and the new U.S. What is it? U.S. Uh, um, MCA, right? Mm-hmm. United States. So there, and that's what that does. When you when you talk about North America, United States, Canada, Mexico, there are checkpoints. There are well, the the, the NAFTA and the U.S. MCA are supposed to streamline the process of, of business transactions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that it's easier for business to flow. Which, which, it, which though, impacts also the, the flow of traffic from a personnel, from a people standpoint, I'll but, say. But unfortunately, it's not been implemented okay. to deal with migratory flows. Okay, okay, so I understand. if we consider something called the Visa Waiver Program, mm-hmm. there are a certain number of countries in the world where they have a visa waiver, mm-hmm. and if they meet certain criteria, yes. those individuals can come into the United States, come and go relatively easily. Mm-hmm. We figured out how to deal with uh, movement between France and the United States. Sure. We figure out how to deal with movement between Mexican nationals that live on the border 
in the southern border, mm -hmm. right? So there are people who live in Nuevo Laredo and own businesses in Laredo, Texas. What we haven't figured out is how it is that there are Haitians mm -hmm. that are coming from Haiti, traveling from Haiti to Brazil, to Chile, to Colombia, to Central America, to Mexico, and are now moving forward. Mm -hmm. what, we haven't figured out what to do about that kind of situation. Okay. Because one of the things that we're finding is that those people, as they come over, many of the countries that they're, they're migrating through don't even have the capacity to yes. help them, yes. right? And you know, there, there's all kinds of things to consider, issues of discrimination, but the, the, the bottom line is there are certain countries that do not have the capacity yes. to help certain people. And stream, they can't help, let they alone help. streamline so, any process. So what that yeah. means is that the United States government knows that these people are on their way, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And we're able to track them. So now mm -hmm. the question is, we have to have a policy for that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think the third thing that I, uh, you know, if, if I was the person that was trying to do this, is I would suggest a kind of disincentive for immigration in this sense. I would try as the United States government to help support and promote investment in certain countries so that immigration is an option. And not always directed, I guess, yes. to the U.S. Maybe yes. look at some of the other. Yes. Ah, so that so that people, if someone wants to come, we're not, it's not to say necessarily, maybe I may have misspoken. It's not to say we want to discourage people. Mm -hmm. But what we want to do is we want to create opportunities mm -hmm. so that it, it doesn't become the only option for people in sure. certain places. Sure. Because sure. if we become the magnet, because there are certain policies that we may have implemented that are disincentivizing staying in a country, then we can't be mad when people show up to find better lives here. Yeah, yeah. But there's a thing I think I mentioned, but I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't. We did talk about the um, COVID um, vaccinations. Okay. And one of the interesting challenges was there were some countries that had developed their own vaccines. Mm -hmm. and I think it, Sweden was one. Sweden mm -hmm. was one. India had, India had come with a vaccine. Okay. Russia had come with a vaccine. Okay. China had a vaccine. Okay. And there was a point, you know, we're in kind of in a different space now because now there's a, there's a bit of discussion about the effectiveness of the vaccines that we currently mm -hmm. have. But there was a moment in time when there were people who would get a vaccine in their country, and then they were being told that the vaccine that they got was not an appropriate vaccine for entering into the United States. Mm -hmm. So now you have a situation where you have people that are getting, at the time, getting double and triple vaccinated because they were trying to find a solution. And this is brand new technology, you know? <coughs> so we don't know what it meant to tell um, Colombian, mm -hmm. and I, I'd like to pick different countries in my mm -hmm. examples, <laughs> hey, you've got the Chinese vaccine that you had to take, and now to come to America, you've got to take the Pfizer, mm -hmm. right? And then you've got to take these extra doses, mm -hmm. otherwise you, we're not going to let you in. Mm -hmm. And then now you have a person who really doesn't have a choice, mm -hmm. so they take the risk. But now we don't know if having people do that um, could have some sort of detrimental effect. Sure, sure. And we don't know wh what effect that has had on some of the decisions that people were making at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think in essence you're talking about one of the things that that I think I know someone experienced, right? Taking the, a myriad of vaccine, right? Receiving a myriad of vaccination shots and um, different makers, right? So whether it's uh, Johnson & Johnson, whether it's Pfizer, whether it's uh, the other maker, um, um, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, and there were two major, yeah. there were three major. So, so I think the... I, I think that, and I want to just, I don't want to 
you know, say anything insensitive or be off mark here. But I think that as a result of those kinds of situations, right, not only the vaccination, because now we have boosters, right? Mm -hmm. And so now we're taking a myriad of shots, right? Different makers, different countries. And then you may end up here in the United States, have migrated here to, to the United States. And so now there are boosters, right? There's one, two, three, you know, I'm being facetious. You know, what are we up to now? Nine. But um, I know it's a serious matter, but but that is a great concern. Right. So in addition to immigration, in addition to, um, you know, post-COVID uh, or pre-COVID, post-COVID, in addition to all of the other issues that are going on, that is one that's not really being talked about. And I guess that's, you know, kind of a different can of worms for well. Well, I would, I wouldn't, I, I disagree about it being a different kind of worms because ah. immigration, at the end of the day, what we have got to get our heads around is whether or not we are going to continue in the direction of becoming a more of a globalized society mm -hmm. or not. And if that's the case, being a globalized society means that there's somebody in Nigeria in Lagos who sends their children to study mm -hmm. in Georgia. So that when their daughter graduates with her MBA from, say, Emory, after having studied here, or maybe they get the MBA here as well, they might, they might go to London to run operations for their family business that's run mm -hmm. out of London. So if we're going to live like that, then we're going to have to figure out systems that are going to be workable. Because if Nigeria has certain vaccine requirements that are different from the American vaccine mm -hmm. requirements, mm -hmm. that are different from the English vaccine mm -hmm. requirements, then you're going to have a person who's going to run around with 47 shots in their body. So, 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 but something like that. So then you're talking about a real, you're talking about a global system. And that, that wouldn't happen at, you know, the national level, right? The U.S. level or the, the, you know, the continent of Africa level or the, you know, the U.K. government level. That would happen at, what, the WTO level or well, the... Well, one of the things that happened during COVID was, and it was this is part of what of all of the complexities is that the World Health Organization World Health, mm -hmm. had made certain recommendations, and there were different countries trying to implement them, and there were challenges in doing so. And it happened, and these kinds of things were happening in the context of a major migration from the global south to the global north. There's a mm -hmm. lot of movement mm -hmm. around the world. So the bottom line is. The complexity is that we have to consider all of these things. Sure. Right? We have to figure out, for example, what is the policy with regard to uh, COVID or any new pandemics in the current context of dealing with a major southern border migration? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the reality is we've come to realize after three years in this process, we have a kind of an understanding of how potentially dangerous, COVID is, who it may affect. So we're taking a particular approach that on balance, we kind of understand that we'll prepare, we'll prepare to take the risk. This is the, this is the actual policy of the American mm -hmm. government, mm -hmm. if it's not stated. We're prepared to take the risk of letting these people in and figuring out their COVID status later on, as opposed to saying no. Because here's the reality. If COVID was Ebola mm -hmm. and we had... 100,000 people at the border and we didn't know if they had Ebola or not, we wouldn't have taken the position that we've taken. Sure. But we have to have a discussion on what happens if it is Ebola coming up. Mm. And to, to, to double back to the, the real core of the issue, um, 
part of what we're experiencing now is what it looks like when we don't put the investment into a system that yes. sorely needs it. Yes. Because the, there were problems pre-COVID. Yes. And now those those problems are being exacerbated during pro, post, I don't, I don't know what to call it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, don't know what yeah, we were in. Yeah. But because of where we are now, sure. a lot of these things didn't have to play out this way if we had considered these type of issues at that time. I a thousand percent agree with you. And so on that note, so here's what I what I what I'd like to leave with. I want to correct myself first. I think earlier I said um, in terms of the organization that would re, that probably that would probably be responsible for a global system to manage. I said WTO. That was an error. I meant WHO, of course, the world, the WHO. Um, and so with that, Ralph, I want to I want to thank you. Now, if nobody else gets anything out of this, you have educated the heck out of me. I'll say that. I appreciate that. Um, and this is and this is why you know this is what AU Studios designed to do, right? Bring this kinds of information not only to our students but also to our viewers, right? To those that listen to us and to those that follow us. Um, um, the different channels and the different forms of media where where we we may post, and so great information. I think that I'm you know we'll you know we'll follow this out. You'll you know we'll see how this plays out. You'll follow this a lot closer than myself and you know folks that are non practitioners such as yourself. Uh, but one being here at Atlantis University, we have lots of international students, so this is definitely a subject that is near and dear to us. And these kinds of processes and how they play out, how they impact, right, on a global scale, right, is very important to us at Atlantis University. So with that being said, I want to remind us that um, the message we've just received, the information we've just received is from a, a gentleman that I don't have to say it, it say it again you've heard him speak mr ralph kino uh, immigration lawyer out of south florida hollywood florida as he'd like to say um again i want to thank you all our viewers for tuning tuning in we appreciate you so much if it were not for you there would be no a in you and we encourage you to tune back in with us on um, next week when we'll have another um, awesome guest to share with us news and information that educates and empowers. With that being said, um, have a good one and we'll see you next time.